0: part one of two on picking up the pieces as we get to the end and having talked about a lot of topics. uh, Of course, we're left with, um, as parents, looking back at how we've raised our kids and we see any number of areas where we've fallen short. Those cute, sweet bundles of joy grow up And sometimes they break your hearts. I think it was my grandmother that said when they're little, they step on your feet. And when they're old, they step on your heart. And that's sometimes the case. The disappointment and pain of a wayward child can be overwhelming. Few, if any, pains could compare to the loss of a child. That's certainly true uh, in death, but that's also true spiritually. Our hearts go out in sympathy and in pity to those who feel that pain and that disappointment. As a part of the covenant community, we are sad because the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep. And in some cases, the church even shares responsibility for those failures. Parental sins and corporate sins contribute to those situations, and so we must look to ourselves, we must look to our own communities. As we seek remedies from God's Word and rely upon the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, this is a story. This is a process. It's not an event. It's not just a moment in time. The story is not over until it's over. And so, what we often don't know when we take, if we take a snapshot of our lives or of our children's lives, uh, we don't know is this is this how the story ends, or is this just Uh, a bad chapter in an otherwise good book, we don't know. That's why we have to do the next right thing. We don't quit. We don't stop. We continue to pray. We continue to work. We continue to trust God. And God does amazing things. You know that already, right? When you look at your own life, haven't there been dark moments? Haven't there been valleys? Haven't there been times when you didn't think you could go any further? Uh, haven't there been times in your life where you say, had I continued down that path, I wouldn't be where I am right now, but God in His infinite mercy and grace arrested me and changed me, turned me around. Perhaps reminded you and reminded me of something our parents had taught us. Haven't you thought about things that you learned as a child that perhaps didn't come home uh, to you and didn't become a part of you until you were much older or perhaps when you had children. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future, just to not be clichéd there, but it's it's true. We have to trust God for tomorrow, not just uh you know, be overwhelmed by the past. God is the resurrecting, saving, redeeming God. Um so, studying, we want to, sometimes when we study something like this, and any number of subjects, but I think this and marriage would be the two that come to mind the most, it is, it can be really overwhelming. Because we, when we look at the ideal, we realize that we fall short of the glory of God. That we sin. That we don't do all the things we're supposed to do, and we, we do some of the things we're not supposed to do, and we have the consequences. God's Word raises such high standards that we in our weakness might be tempted to become discouraged rather than encouraged when we hear lessons. There are no parents uh, who have not failed many times at various points. Sometimes many times at various points in the same day, in the same week. And so we're all in this together. Some of the failures are relatively minor. Others seem to be catastrophic. No matter where we are in terms of our understanding when we uh, begin our households, the one thing that we're guaranteed is that we're going to fail to some degree. We have things to learn. We uh, are in a process here. It's also certain, regardless of where we start, that we're going to learn many things During our lifetime, during this process of raising our family. And failing, this is important, failing will be a big part of where we do our learning. Isn't that true in your life? Now, so oftentimes I say something like, oh Lord, please don't let me go through that again. And I think what he would say and has said is then be sure and learn whatever it is I'm teaching you. So, you don't have to go through that again. So, it's in failures, at times of doubt, at times of shakiness, that we cry out to God in a way that we might not when everything's sailing along just right. We might be prone to be self sufficient and independent of God. And so, when a crisis comes, when a problem arises, we get on our knees, we seek counsel, we go to the Bible. We begin to do what God's told us to be doing on a daily basis anyway, and so failure is not all bad. In fact, sometimes I meet people and I think, that person needs a few more failures and a few less successes. Now, they're a little cocky, a little self-assured, and they need to be trusting God a bit more, and that's certainly true of me. It's not so much a question of where we are today in our quest for the faithful covenant household. Rather... I always want to know which direction are we headed. We're always moving in one direction or another. And so no matter how well we begin, no matter how much we know, it is impossible to raise a child for 20 or so years and not learn a lot. Who would not change some things if, God forbid, we had to start over? Our improved theology... Our improved experience and wisdom would surely enable us to do a better job. Often, by the time a serious problem becomes evident, it uh, seems too late to do much about it. It's uh, The cows are out of the barn. Uh, I should have closed the barn door a long time ago, but now they're out. Now what? And so uh, perhaps others saw it coming or maybe we had a warning but frequently parents feel blindsided by their child's bad attitude their behavior or their lack of faith it's cuz we have blind spots sermons and lessons or books about covenant succession that is the idea of passing on our faith from generation to generation can add to the heartache of parents who are not experiencing such covenant blessings. And as a result, many pastors are reluctant to speak out on the issues for fear of of further injury to their suffering sheep. It's a delicate subject. Yet, a different perspective might be helpful for both pastors and parents who are dealing with such problems. Parents who are suffering should desire a message on covenant succession. If only I had some, had someone warned you sooner. Um, I, some years ago, I had a particular couple in, another, not this church, but another church, and they were very grieved over their grown children. I think uh, about... Four out of the five were uh, in a bad way. I deeply, uh, I, felt, I felt great concern. I felt great compassion for them. In fact, that probably, looking back, might have been one of the first times I taught this series on child training. So that was uh, you know, many years ago, and, and it's evolved and developed over the years. But I was concerned for them. I had compassion for them as I prepared to teach and preach on this. And so they came to me after one particularly difficult message on covenant succession, and here's what they said to me. Thank you. We wish we had been taught these things when we were raising our children. We are so glad that these young couples will be better equipped than we were. Many failures come on a daily basis and are, again, common to all Christian parents. With these kind of failures, we have the opportunity to receive what? Forgiveness. Isn't that great? We can confess our sins to God and be forgiven. Uh, We can correct the mistakes. That's one of the things we talked about before, about having 20 or so years. It's not all done in a day or a week. Uh, So if you mess up on Tuesday, you get to start over on Wednesday. Um, And in addition to that, we... uh, we get to, again, move forward. This is one of the blessings of having such a long, time, a long time period for raising our children. God knows our limitations, and his grace allows for our weakness while providing immediate remedy. However, other failures are more system, uh, systemic in the household, and those can become habitual. And those are the bigger problems. Those are the things we sail past every day without ever... It's one thing if I know that I'm sinning. And I think First John addresses this, if you confess your sins, particular sins, uh, God says that He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, indicating that there are sins oftentimes that I'm not aware of. But sometimes I grow cold to those, I grow numb to those, I grow calloused in terms of not paying attention to those things I'm neglecting. And those little things, just like little good things grow to be big good things, little bad things, little things of neglect, mount up over time. And so this kind of perpetual covenant irresponsibility due to ignorance, perhaps, or rebellion by parents produces far more serious and long-lasting problems, even generational problems, multiple generations. Since it's certain that we all fall short of God's standards for the covenant household, how do we handle those failures? How do we deal with the past? How do we respond in the present? How do we prepare for the future? We will, will we learn from our failures, or will they destroy us? Is there hope for those who have failed in the past or is all lost? And so let's consider a biblical response. The church, the community of saints and household of God, bears several responsibilities toward her members. These important responsibilities are both proactive. Prevention through covenant nurture. As well as retroactive, that is, repair and redemption to those children who've rejected the faith. And so the church must proclaim the word of God as it applies to families and the rearing of children, teaching its standards uh, and its promises. We have to know where we're headed. We have to know what God's promised. We have to know, uh, we have to have this information if we're going to aim at the proper objectives and we can't fail then to lovingly lead our members to properly do what God required of our father Abraham remember you've heard me quote this only about a million times Uh, Genesis uh, 18 verse 19 for I have known him in order that he may command his children after him to keep the way of the Lord to do justice and righteousness uh, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he had spoken to him. So God has all these promises to Abraham, and we're Abraham's children. I'll be a bless I'll be a God to you, a God to your children, and I'll be a blessing to the world, to the nations. Abraham, what do I want you to do? I want you to go home. I want you to command your household. I want you to command them to obey me, to love me, to implement this in a practical way in your household. And then I, God, will bring all these blessings to pass. I'll do the blessing. You go home and be faithful. You go home and believe what I've said and implement what I've said. And so um, the church uh, must proclaim the Word of God as it applies to families and the rearing of children teaching these things. Yet, even the church that is faithful in this duty must still prepare its members, uh, uh, It still must be prepared to serve its members in another way. Many of these needs will be manifest in families that are in need of special help. The author of Hebrews writes in 12 12 and 13, uh, where we are reminded, Strengthen the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, So that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So God gives us all kinds of people in all kinds of conditions, with all kinds of backgrounds and knowledge and experience, and we're all over the map. And God in His kind providence puts us together in a congregation and tells us to love each other. In fact, that's the central thing. To sacrifice for one another, to come alongside one another, to comfort one another, to instruct one another to pray for one another all the one another passages are there and that's what the community is for is to help people sometimes people say something like will will the church accept me the way i am should the church accept people the way they are and the answer is yes but the church should not allow them to stay the way they are should not allow me to stay the way i am we need to be growing so Yes, we take people wherever they are, but then we immediately surround them with love and affection and and uh, tenderness, and at the same time raising God's standard, setting it before them, uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering why? So that we can grow so that we can grow into likeness to Christ, so that we can become one in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we grow together in the unity of the faith. And so, um, of course, this love, Jesus said, by this is how everybody is going to know you're my disciples, is this love for one another. So the Apostle John sets love for the brethren as one of the essential proofs, proofs of saving faith. We know that we, in 1 John three fourteen. we know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. Some of you are hard to love. I'm hard to love. We do things that make it hard for people to love us, but the Bible says he who does not love his brother abides in death. Biblical love is fervent, it is enthusiastic, it is compassionate, it is persistent, it is honest. Love covers a multitude of sins without covering up those sins. So again, we're talking about how we come to the church, broken, messed up, in need. Nevertheless, for those who are suffering the pain of a family wreck, binding their wounds must come before correcting their mistakes. We don't just immediately... Uh, began to fix everything that's broken, Uh, we've got to tend to the wounds. We've got to show the compassion. We've got to put a little money in the bank. Life is complicated, and we must not presume that we're going to unscramble an egg uh, that has shown up. Uh, It's messy. One of the ways that love is tested is when one of our member households suffers failure, or disappointment with a child. This is an opportunity to put love in action, to show friendship, compassion, and affection. Unfortunately, when personal problems arise, many people, even friends, even the best of friends, are prone to retreat and withdraw. It's awkward. What do I say? Um... And so while others find it the perfect occasion to judge and to criticize and to gossip and advance their own causes, sometimes others react by going the other direction. I'm not going to say anything. I'll disappear. I'll act like nothing's happened. And it is a hard balance to strike. And it's like grief. You know, what do you say? Do you go or not go? What if you don't know what to say? Somebody's sick in the hospital. Do you go? Well, I feel awkward when I go. I don't know what to say. Well, go anyway. What if they don't like people to come? Well, then you've got to be wise. Wisdom is involved here. You've got to know people. And that's why, by the way, I can take a little rabbit trail here. That's why getting to know everybody in the church is so important. If you wait until a disaster is on a doorstep, whether it's physical, uh, health or children, or marriage, or finances, or whatever, if you just are waiting to show up when the house burns down, you're not equipped to do that. You don't know how to read that person. You don't know what they need. But if you've invested in them ahead of time, and you know them, and you've had them to your house, and you've been to their house, and you've eaten dinner with them, and you've laughed with them and cried with them ahead of time, then when those things come, They will welcome you into their circle. Because, by the way, this isolation can work both ways. Sometimes we withdraw from people in crisis, but sometimes people in crisis withdraw. Both of those are problems. And so we have to sometimes be bigger than ourselves. Sometimes I just have to talk to myself and say, no, I don't feel like going, and no, I don't know what to say, but you know what, I'm going to do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. And I'm going to ask the Lord to help me know what to say. And maybe I just don't need to say anything. Maybe I just need to go. Maybe I need to uh, just demonstrate uh, compassion. And so, um, when our children fall into sin, they and their parents are in need. They're in need of help. They're in need of encouragement. Pastors, elders, deacons, and the congregation all have special obligations to serve families who are having issues with their children. 1 Thessalonians 514 14-15, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves, and for all. The goal is complete recovery, and it will require wisdom, love, hope, patience. This is not the time to say something like, well, I saw this coming, or I told you so. Now is the time to weep with those who weep. And so the covenant community must come together and lend support to the suffering family and to help them through the storm. Remember, I said my analogy about is this a bad chapter in an otherwise good book. Another analogy is a storm. Storms are storms. And when you're in the middle of the storm, it's intense. There are different levels of storms, different durations of storms. But life isn't just storms. You know, we're praying for, working for, looking for a sunny day when things are better, when circumstances change. Remember what the Bible, let's say we have a, a child in sin. What does the Bible say about sin? Wages of sin is death. Uh, the way of the transgressor is easy street, right? No, the way of the transgressor is hard. Perhaps we should pray, Lord, make it harder. Show a severe mercy to my child and to this friend's child. Make them understand that sin doesn't pay off, that it's painful and and hurtful, and help make them miserable. Spare their lives. Spare their souls. Rescue them. But Lord, whatever it takes, we don't know what God is doing in them. I know this, His Word doesn't go forth in vain. And he hears our prayers, right? So how do I know what he's doing in their life today? Do you think they're going to call you up and tell you? Mom and dad, guess what? I had a miserable day today because I'm disobeying you. Uh, I remember reading um, Robinson Crusoe, the unedited edition, which is a great Christian novel. Uh, I don't know if you know, but Robinson Crusoe winds up, of course, on an island by himself, isolated from the world for for quite a while, I don't remember the length of time. Uh, But it began because he was disobedient to his father. His father forbade him to go onto a ship. And it makes it's clear in the novel that this is God's working in his life because of his disobedience to his father. But it's interesting, a number of things are interesting in that novel, but one of which is, here he is on an island by himself, but one of the things he does, he keeps the Sabbath. In fact, he marks it, I believe, on a stick. He makes a notch every Sabbath day. Uh, and so by himself, he recognizes his sin. I mean, his father didn't know where he was, didn't know what God was doing in his life. But he was at work in his life. And so uh, when I'm dealing with anybody who's in a mess... I like to just remember, I don't know the whole story. In fact, I don't know a fraction of the story. I don't know what God is doing and and how, you know, somewhere down the line, you ever had somebody come back and say something like, you know, I didn't tell you at the time, but that day you came and visited with me and I, I told you everything was just fine. I was falling apart. My life was a wreck, but I didn't want you to know it. So just remember that. God is at work all the time. So let's, let's work with him. Let's pray along and ask the Lord to continue to do that, even when we don't know exactly how he's doing that. And so uh, selfishness frequently tempts us to avoid unfamiliar and uncomfortable situations. Therefore, uh, we often simply do nothing. Uh, and so that becomes our refuge. Refuge. Christian maturity, however, sets aside such excuses and and owns its responsibility by embracing those who suffer and sacrifices for them. Simply being there and offering hopeful and comforting words, showing friendship and affection, this is what every hurting soul deserves and desires and needs. Job's friends Let me just pause here, and I'll realize this. I have failed in this regard any number of times in my life where I've not done what I needed to do for a friend with a friend. This church has failed in that regard. And I'm going to move into this issue of us owning that responsibility, too. We need to do better, all of us, I think. Um Job's friends offered little comfort with their speculative counsels concerning matters that were too complicated for them to honestly evaluate. They may have been well-intentioned. But godly counsel is humble, wise, compassionate, being careful to achieve the objectives of genuine assistance and restoration. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, which, by the way, is love. Bearing one another's burdens. This kind of environment, the loving, active covenant community, should provide the greatest possibility of redemption when a family is in crisis. Now, owning our responsibility. We still ask why. What went wrong? What could I have done different? These are some of the questions we ask ourselves when children stumble or fall. Some parents will be too hard on themselves, while others will find a way to shift the blame and excuse themselves of any responsibility. There's no shortage of fellow well-intentioned Christians that will assist them in either direction. Some like to pile on. Others like to exonerate just in case they need exemption for themselves later. I won't judge you so that next year you won't be judging me. Um, And then there are those many well-meaning, sympathetic people who feel the pain of a suffering friend and simply want to give them comfort and relief. That's a good thing, but it falls a bit short of the biblical standard. If we are to grow in the midst of these trials, an honest assessment of the situation is called for, honest in light of the biblical standard. The truth matters. Matters. The truth will set you free. The truth is light. And so we must examine ourselves, not as an act of morbid introspection, but rather to provide as much as possible a true assessment of what went wrong, partly because we may need to make adjustments if we still have other children. Uh, we may need to be able to give counsel to our own children and, and in regard to grandchildren or others in the church. We need to grow in Christ, grow in wisdom, and this is part of our own sanctification. God gives children to parents who in turn are given the authority and the responsibility for raising those children to God's glory. Malachi 3, why did he make them one? In order to produce godly offspring. These are my children. The Bible teaches that they are both a reflection of their parents as well as a reflection on their parents. Wise and godly children are a joy to their parents and reflect honor upon them, which is exactly what children are commanded to do toward their parents, right? Honor your father and your mother. Reflect glory to them. Foolish and ungodly children bring sadness and shame to their parents. This is the nature of the covenant relationship uh, and between parents and children. The sooner we own this responsibility... And we accept the covenantal connection, the sooner we can get on with recovering from our failures and repairing any broken relationships. Keep in mind, the Bible teaches that our children bear the guilt for their own sins. They have their own sinful nature. Moreover, there are many other other people and things that influence and tempt them particularly as they grow older. God makes it clear that they will personally be held accountable for their own sins. Uh, We discussed this, I think, in the sermon a week or two, a couple of weeks ago. What does it mean that the sins of the fathers are visited on the children for three and four generations? And I think it is accurate to say that what that is teaching is that usually the, the sins themselves... So, so, uh, here as a father, I have a particular tendency in sin. And and, and if my son or daughter continue in that sin, then they're going to face the consequences of that too. It's not a, I, it's not that I committed a sin and now my children are going to be punished for what I did. It's that my sins have a tendency to get passed down to the next generation. And unless there is a self conscious changing, on the part of my children, to say, you know, Dad used to be really bad at this, and I don't want to be that way. I want to be more Christ-like here. So that can change at any point through repentance uh, and so forth. So I want to make that really clear. This is not just some external, oh, well, you know, my great-grandfather was a thief, and so I'm still, I may be suffering because of uh, any number of things, consequences of his sins, but if I'm not a thief, I'm not going to be judged as a thief. But if thievery becomes the family business, if we become the family mob, then I'm going to still be suffering those sins. Uh, So that's just an aside there. I think we mentioned that before, but I wanted to emphasize that. Um, And so uh, God makes it clear that they will be personally held accountable. Nevertheless, parents are still responsible for what their children are taught who and what influences them, as well as for protecting them from other forms of temptation. That's exactly what parents do. That's what shepherds do for sheep. They protect them. They feed them. They guide them. That is their job. Parental sins and the sins of children, though, are distinct, even though they're connected. Before we can begin to fix what's broken, parents need to acknowledge their responsibility before God. This, we're gonna, in the next ten minutes here, this is the point I want to cover and then next time we'll look at some of the remedies and how to, how to move forward. But before we can fix what's broken, particularly in our children, parents need to acknowledge their responsibility for God. We have to stop making excuses for our children and ourselves and stop shifting the blame to others. As parents, the buck stops here. There is a relief and a joy that comes only by agreeing with God that these children are our responsibility. Now we can honestly now we can honestly evaluate, repent, confess, confront, forgive, and redeem. Now life is complex, and there are many special circumstances, as many special circumstances as there are unique households. So, we might be looking at things like divorce, adoption, illness, financial burdens, a whole long list of things. As a pastor, my heart has gone out to many who have suffered the burdens of family crisis, especially when it involves a child. And while these special circumstances can make parenting more difficult, and while we can sympathize with those difficulties, those special circumstances, They never relieve us of our parental duties toward God and our responsibilities for our children. In other words, they cannot become excuses to turn ourselves into permanent victims. We still are called to respond to those circumstances in a godly way and to do what God says to do in light of and in spite of those circumstances. They may offer explanations for a problem, but they never provide a legitimate excuse for disobedience to God. Failures of the church and the influence of the culture contribute to our problems in raising godly children. Unbelieving, unsupportive, and irresponsible spouses remind us of why it is so important to marry only in the Lord and to marry godly husbands and wives. Likewise, divorce is devastating to the entire household and especially to children. Single parents face many special circumstances. We acknowledge all of these as genuine. They are genuine obstacles, and we feel sincere pity for those who are facing those challenges. We must love these families and help them overcome these challenges, but the responsibility for children remains where God put it, with the parents. Now, failure in various aspects of child-rearing is usually the consequence. I want to just introduce this, and we'll expand on this next time. Failure is usually the consequence of ignorance, negligence, laziness, rebellion, or a combination of these. Ignorance, negligence, laziness. Rebellion. Many of our sins are due to ignorance. No one ever taught us any better. Nevertheless, they are still sins. They still produce death. They still produce corruption. They still bear their ugly fruit. God looks on sins of ignorance differently than he does sins of rebellion. If we looked at Leviticus chapter 5, there's a different sacrifice for sins committed in ignorance versus willful sins there's a difference in degree intent does matter that's why we're not just to love God by obeying him we're to love him with our whole heart the heart matters intention matters and so we can look upon somebody who doesn't know how to raise children because no one ever taught them and they don't weren't born knowing how and we can have pity it doesn't mean it's not a sin But it's a different kind of sin. It's a different level of sin. It's a sin that could be addressed by instruction, by a good book, a few talks, some examples coming alongside, providing help with that ignorance. Some of our sins, however, are sins of willful rebellion. We know better, but we just don't want to obey God. And then we're often sloppy and careless with His commands And, of course, God looks upon these sins more seriously. And so we must begin by considering which sins uh, that that we've committed uh, as parents have been sins of ignorance and which have been willful rebellion and make an honest evaluation of our performance. Uh, For example, if we make unwise financial decisions, uh, we, we go out and buy something, And we bring it home. Anybody ever have buyer's remorse? Um, And so there's that bass boat sitting there that you always wanted, but now you feel guilty that you actually bought it and brought it home. And um, you got payments due. That makes it even worse. Um, Well, it's helpful to acknowledge our mistake and to accept the consequences of our sin. Boy, I wish I never bought that boat. Note to myself, don't do that again. Payment still due next month on the 10th, okay? So consequences are still there. Learn my lesson. Don't do that again. That's sometimes one of those failures in how we learn. We still have to pay our debt, but hopefully we'll have learned from our mistake and we'll be able to avoid in the future, as well as being able to help others avoid similar mistakes in the future. This will require us to swallow our pride, ask for help from family, from friends, or from others. And when it comes to the problem of a rebellious or unbelieving child, or simply a child who uh, who committed a particular sin, parents are often very defensive. There's no shortage of excuses and justifications, but the fact remains, Proverbs 10.1, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. And again, Proverbs 10.5, he Who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. The connection between the behavior of the child and his parents is unavoidable. The sooner we acknowledge this, the sooner we can solve the problem. Parents are sinners. They need grace, they need repentance, forgiveness, and redemption. Children are sinners, and they need grace, the grace of repentance, forgiveness, and redemption. We need the same things. There's a lot of room for love and ministry here for all parties involved, and if there's to be any hope of repair, we have to start with ourselves. Own it. Parents need to initiate reconciliation by dealing first with their own sins, and accepting responsibility for whatever part of the mess is theirs. That's where we start. That's where we all start, right? Get the, get the log out of your own eye, and then you're in a position to help someone with whatever's in their eye. Well, I think we will stop there and take it up uh, and finish up, Lord willing, next time. Um, got a couple of minutes. Any questions or comments? Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the promises of your word, we thank you for the rebukes of your word, for the standard of your word, for the instruction, for the hope, for the uh, way your spirit applies the word to us and convicts our hearts. We thank you that your word teaches us about repentance and confession and forgiveness and redemption. We pray, Lord, for us as we look around and uh, see others who are suffering. Help us, Lord, to know how to minister, how to love, how to show compassion. Help us to know how to receive that love and compassion. And, Lord, we pray for any children who are in trouble, who have sinned, who have strayed, who have fallen away. Lord, we love them dearly. And we pray for them today and ask that you would be at work in their lives right now, this morning, wherever they are. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would bring about circumstances and bring other people into their lives to speak to them and to love them, to be examples to them. Make them miserable wherever they're sinning and make them see the gospel, the joy, the relief, and the help. Lord, forgive us and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.